Welcome to the Rock Ag Podcast. This is your host, Garrett Coffey, Ag and Natural Resource Agent for the University of Kentucky in Rockcastle County. Today we'll be joined by Dr. Jimmy Henning, Extension Forage Specialist for the University of Kentucky. Today we'll be discussing ways to be successful in our renovations of cool season grasses this fall. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Henning. We're glad to have you back on. It's the time of year that we're going to start thinking about doing some fall renovations in our cool season grasses. And so I wanted to get you back on and kind of talk about some ways to make that successful. We want to make sure that with uh, the price of grass seed and the, and the price of diesel fuel now, we want to make sure that we're successful when we start that. Thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. Um, so I want to start with uh, at the very base level, and we're going to talk about uh, making this successful. And one thing that I wanted to start with is talking about doing some soil testing and soil amendments and the importance of that before we seed, not after we seed. So we'll talk about that just a little bit. You bet. And, you know, it's, it's probably the least sexy thing we do in forage crops or probably in agriculture in general is... Uh, uh, besides probably em- emptying the manure wagon, but uh, taking soil samples. Uh, but yet, you know, this is one thing, this is one part of this process we can control. Uh, you know, we, it's, uh, we need to get that soil sample. If we're in a pasture field, that's about four inches down. You're going to till it maybe a little deeper, but four is about a good guess. I mean, good number for us. But uh, what you're looking for is to make sure where the problems are. I mean, if you're medium or above, you know, then maybe it's not crucial that the soil be amended. I mean, you got to carefully put your dollars where they need to be going. But one of the things you want to look for is pH. If, you know, the pH, if it, it getting the pH right releases the nutrients that are in the soil. So we want to make sure we, we get the, we put the, get the soil test, get the lime on and get the uh, nutrients that are added. You know, phosphorus is really important for root growth. Potassium is for winter hardiness. And so, you know, we need those nutrients. The only way to know, you know, where the big needs are is to get that test. So I feel like that too is that, you know, something I, um, I'm guilty of myself is that I'm going to take a soil sample and we're going to start seeding. And then I'm going to, you know, throw some seed down and then maybe come in with a lime a little bit later on. But I feel like probably the more that I understand about it, having that pH correct, to start with is going to be important in the success of, of getting that seed germinated and growing. I, I think you, there are, you, you really are onto something there. Uh, in particular, if you're trying to get alfalfa started, yeah. if you're in the fives with pH and you want to get alfalfa started and we're sitting here today in the, you know, midsummer or so, yeah, get the lime on now and think about seeding next spring or so. Right. Uh, you know, so the limestone doesn't all react immediately, and that's just the way that that works. But giving it some time ahead of the seeding is is uh, going to be helpful. If we're talking grasses, we got a bigger bigger window, but but you got to start with a soil test, just like you said. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing that we want to get on to is is timing of the seeding, and we need to consider several things in that. But let's talk about when we need to seed, and then let's talk about some things like or we're gonna to have to back up to maybe burn down what we have or where we're gonna to have to mow to get grass seed in there and that kind of thing. So let's talk about the timing of seeding these grasses. You know, of course we are coming up in, uh, in this, uh, you know, mid August to say October one uh, for the best time for cool season grass seedings. Now, you know, what, 
which what we need to do now is kind of assess, okay, what have I got to do to give that seed a chance to come up? Uh, if we're talking about a thin stand and, and gaps, you know, that so then mowing and keeping that, and then so you can see where the seed was going to get sunlight is going to, going to you know, be a, a way to go. But if we're talking about trying to maybe kill out some things you don't want and then reseed, then, you know, we need to jump on that pretty quick. Now we've got good growth right now and, and weeds and things are actively growing, which means your translocated herbicides are going to be more effective. So, you know, if you want to seed on September 15th and you want to back up and, and have something, have everything sprayed by August 15th. And, you know, if you think you need two sprays of Roundup, then, you know, you kind of got to go out this afternoon and get started to give yourself some time. So you mentioned the two sprays of Roundup and give us a situation that we would need to spray twice. What, what would, you know, what would be the purpose of that? The, you know, the purpose of that is if you've got a problem, a problem weed, uh, and, and, and a lot of times we hold that second spray in reserve. You can, you, can, you can spray the first time, and if it's a real good kill and nothing is coming back, you don't see any problem weeds, then, you know, hey, one was good enough. But if you've got some escapes or some problems, particularly if we're trying, if we've kept fescue from going to seed this spring, and we really want to kill it, you want to make sure you get another look at it, you know, spray it now and then find out, hey, did I get it all? Because if you're, particularly if you're renovating into novel tall fescue, in other words, fescue back directly into fescue, then you don't, you can't afford to have any escapes mm-hmm. and you need that second spray to give yourself the insurance. Yeah. So we mentioned the weeds and I want one quick thing I want to ask you about that too, is that once I get a uh, establishment of grass and I see that I've got some weeds coming back into it, how quick can I spray 2,4-D on that? Well, you know, that, that is, a, is a question that just has vexed me yeah. because uh, you just really can't come right back over the top of those young seedlings right. with 2,4-D. Uh, you know, there are some new chemistries that are coming out that may be more friendly on the younger stuff. But typically, if I fall seed, and, and fall seeding is what we're talking about here. Yeah. then we need to have three fully uh, emerged leaves. You need to be able to find three leaf collars or the grass has got to be, uh, you can't pull it up with your hands. I mean, it's got to be rooted down really good. Okay. And uh, the label I think says three fully expanded leaves. Well, that's not going to be till spring. Right. So typically you, you need, you, if you drill now and you've got some things that start to come in, the best thing you've got is a, just mow it to try to keep it down, uh, keep the weeds from over canopying the stuff. Yeah. A poison hemlock is a particularly bad one. Yeah. You know, if it comes in in a field, it canopies hard yeah. uh, and covers up. So, you know, keeping it mowed, is going to be good. Then in March or April, look for that, you know, a 50 degree day or, you know, two or three days in a row, then you should be good to spray. But it's really tough to use 2,4-D on very, very young grass. And I've never... I found myself in a situation where I was far enough along with the young grass to use 2,4-D in the fall. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good, good information there on that for sure. So whenever we, we've got our timing down and we know when we're going to seed. So let's talk about some methods of reseeding, uh, you know, compare and contrast like a no-till drill at the conventional tillage and then any other methods that you might think would be successful for us. Yeah, and that's a good question. And man, I you know I've thought about this for more than thirty years, and and wrestled with this. The and I've come to the conclusion that that 
you know, one size doesn't fit everybody. If it's a nice flat piece of land, uh, you don't have access to a good no-till drill, maybe it's a rental, maybe, you know, you're not sure if it's uh, just whether or not you can set it up and make it work right, then there's nothing in, in the world wrong with disking it and preparing a seed bed, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it needs to lay level and lay fairly flat so you don't wash. I mean, and this this will lead us into some discussion about what about nurse crops. But, you know, so prepared seed bed in, in the perfect world is always going to be good, you know, because you, you've got, you know, you're going to be able to get that seed in the, in the proper placement, get it placed right. Now, if we do prepare a seed bed, uh, you've got to be careful not to plant seed too deep. Yeah, because that's a that's the single biggest cause of seedling failures with grasses, is planting them too deep. I mean, it's I've got every T-shirt, I've got every award for doing that you can have, uh, because I don't care. You can know it, um, and it's just really hard sometimes to get it done right. So make sure it's a good firm seed bed before you plant, uh, which means that if you're disking, let you know some rain come, pack it down, uh, you know to get it firm, get the seed really placed right there in the top quarter to half inch. And uh, the best way to do it, if you could, is broadcast that seed and roll it with a corrugated roller, which is basically what a brilliant seeder does. Yeah. Not everybody has access to that. Yeah. But that's, that's you know, the prepared seed bed. Now, prepared seed bed and it gets firm, you can use a drill. But man, you really have to have a drill that can hold itself out of the ground, yeah. you know? And, and which is going to lead us into talking about no-till drills because Depending on the crop, you know, and this is our orchard grass, tall fescue, annual rye grass, things like that are, seeds are about the same size. You know, they're not very fine seeded. They get about 250,000 seeds per pound. You know, you could, you, you know, scratch them in with something and then, you know, try to, to, uh, to roll them or something like that and, and get them and they'll come up just fine. But uh, the no-till drill, setting up a no-till drill is just one of those things that if you haven't done it before, I'd get help. Yeah, for sure. You know, and then if we're, if we're drilling into existing vegetation that's just thin, you know, or maybe we, we, we killed out a spot and we're going to drill in, that's good because the ground will be firm, right? But it, it, var it varies, you know, you know, and there are places in the field that the ground may be softer. There are hard places in the field. There are places where the drill doesn't necessarily run with the cultures in the ground at the same depth all the way across. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that you be very that you should be very careful about getting out and checking the depth with a with a knife. And you stick a knife in the ground that in that furrow. It ought not to go more than uh, you know your a half inch. I mean, it ought, your knife ought to hit the hard bottom of that furrow uh, at about a half inch. Yeah. I can see, you know, there's there's a, a lot of ways to fail with a no-till drill. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And I see, especially with with rentals and people that aren't used to using them, you know, they're not calibrated, they're not used to setting the depth on them, and we can have some real real train wrecks with those no-till drills. Sometimes I feel like you you can, and this, and I don't want to talk people out of using them because no, they are no, great tools. Yeah, but it, but I mean, you know it. For me, if I walk into a setting and I mean, I think I've, I've seen a few no-till drills, it takes half a day. It takes half a day to get it calibrated, make sure it's cleaned out all the way, to make sure I'm happy with the way that we're running the depth. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with a rental, you you feel under the gun. Right. And uh, <laughs> and I guess don't assume that the guy, the person before you had 
is you know had it set up right. That's right. Because sure. it it uh, that's another way that it it kind of comes back to haunt you. But uh, no, you, you know just get some help. We've got a great video on setting one of those things up on our on our Forges YouTube site. Yeah. Uh, but no till drills are are good, uh, and you need them, uh, and they can work for you. But you know set them up right. Right, just making sure that it stressed the importance of making sure that those are set up right before we start, for sure. Absolutely. So I've had some questions about uh, nurse crops as far as, you know, seeding uh, an oat or a wheat or a barley or a rye or something like that. Discuss the good, the bad, yes, no. Tell us about that some. You know, that's a, that's a practice that... Uh, we, it used to be just standard, you know, it just used to be standard. You yeah. put that out, uh, you know, and, and then put your seed, the wheat and the, and the grass seed together. And the wheat is going to come no matter what. Uh, now, what I, what I like, I don't like to use a lot of anything that you know is going to die in a hurry. So I guess that's a feeling. Even annual ryegrass or perennial ryegrass that people throw into a grass seeding mix, because that's going to come up fast and first. And it'll it'll outcompete, yeah. you know, the grass that you want. Yeah. Uh, so I would prefer not to use a nurse crop. I mean, now if you need to use a nurse crop, the ground is rolling. You had to prepare seed bed. You know, you're a little worried about this working. You know, it's a hedge. It's it's yeah. a way to hold the ground together. And and there are reasons to use them. But just use a light seeding rate. And I guess truth be told, I prefer wheat. You know, it doesn't get so rank and tall in the spring that it gets in the way. Yeah, uh, it, and it's a little later to come off and you might be able to even get a, a cutting of it and, and still kind of keep yourself on track to get a good seeding of grass. But the, the, the good about them is they're very reliable to come up. The bad with them is that they will die in the next spring right. and they leave holes. Yeah. So uh, I, I typically would not recommend using them, you know, except for, again, rolling ground, ground where you've had to plow and you're worried about erosion. Maybe where you're seeding really, really late and you're just worried about the grass dying out. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm I'm open to, to whatever you've heard or whatever you've known to work because this is not something where you there's a, a, a wealth of information out there that you can dial this in, uh, you know, the absolute right answer every time. Yes. Uh, so that's, uh, well, my thought was too, and you answered my question that I had about it was that I was worried about if, if I use something like a wheat. Or, or something like that, some of those grains, that it's gonna outcompete my fescue or my orchard grass and it's gonna shade some out. And then I have some holes that allow weeds next spring, next summer. And you know, I feel like that if you can get a good stand to the fescue or the orchard grass in this situation, that you know, you're gonna, if you can get that going good, the nurse crop is not gonna necessarily be any benefit to you. I don't think it's a lot. And again, it's a it's a hedge. It's a yeah. insurance against a bad outcome. But I would rather go with a pure seeding. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So tell us uh, what else do we need to be successful in this situation? Well, you know, I, I think thinking back on the ones where I've, I've, I've you know worked with these and, and tried to, to worry a, a seeding through, uh, just don't don't forget to go check on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't drive off and, and come back in April and wonder what the heck happened, because, uh, you know, there, there are things that can happen during the winter that maybe you can help, maybe you can't, yeah. but it can, it can, uh, you can maybe head off some problems. Again, I'm thinking about poison hemlock as one, yeah. you know, because it's going to grow this fall. 
I mean, yeah. if it's in the field, it's going to grow. Uh, so maybe you need to mow it a little bit and keep the canopy as open as you can. So, you know, go back and check on it. Um, you know, if you were late getting a soil test and you haven't gotten all the soil amendments on, you know, use the, the frozen ground opportunity in the wintertime. I'm trying to think about the, the phosphorus runoff and stuff like that. But, but anyway, find a time then get those nutrients on that are going to work. It may not work, may not be the smartest thing to put them on frozen ground. But, you know, if, if you weren't able to get the nutrients on, then think about that. Um, nitrogen use is one we haven't talked about. Uh, you know, grass seedings could use a little in the fall and, and when startup. Uh, so you, you're going to want to use, and I'm trying to think what AGR1 says, but you don't want to go crazy. You don't want to put 100 pounds of nitrogen, yeah. uh, but you may want to put on, say, uh, 75 to 100 pounds of urea, yeah. something like that, whatever you can, whatever the light radius that you can apply yeah. to let that grass get kicked off pretty good. You know, that's something that, that I was thinking about. And you mentioned the frozen ground. So that kind of spurred another question for me is that what about the, the cold damage? How much do we have to worry about the, the freeze damage on it? You know, if we, if we throw a little nitrogen on it and get it to come out really good and it's got a good leaf and it's starting to develop a root system, I feel like that we're going to be more successful beating the cold than if we seed it in late September and we get an early freeze and it's kind of young. Is that, is that correct or? You know, I, I think that, boy, if anything, I think Kentucky winters are so variable that it yeah. may defy, you know, giving an exact answer here. But I yeah. but I think you're right. Getting it started early enough so that it, it's got a root system and a crown uh, going. And also, you know, we don't want to discount the fact that it's got to hold itself in the ground. A lot of the freeze damage that we get is hydraulic, yeah. you know, with water that, that and the ground freezes and kind of squeezes that plant. Yeah. So it's, you know, getting it seated on time. Uh, obviously, the wetter places will be worse than the hill ground. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's seeding it early enough and, you know, getting just a bit of a break from the from an extreme winter. Yeah. OK. Any last words of advice for us today? No, good luck with it. I mean, you said it right at the front. I mean, the price of seed is not low. Price of fertilizer is not low. Control all the things that you can. Yeah. Uh, because there are plenty that you cannot. And yeah. but you know, you, you address the soil fertility, you get the seed placed right there at a quarter to half inch, watch the competition. Uh, then you know, let's rock and roll next spring. Good deal, good deal. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Henning. Thank you, Garrett. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Rock Ag Podcast. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. If you would like any more information on the content of this podcast, please contact Garrett Coffee at the Rockcastle County Extension Service.